0: Hello there. Welcome to the Happiness Between Tales podcast. Do you love writing, great fiction, culture, fine art, and compassion? I mean, truly love them. I'm Dahl, and I sure do. That's why I produce Happiness Between Tales, to foster creativity and understanding. As an Emmy Award-winning former journalist, join me on my learning to write and publish fiction journey, Wherever you find your podcast, hit subscribe. That way you'll never miss a single completely free episode of Happiness Between Tales. While you're getting Happiness Between Tales delivered automatically, help keep it going by giving it a like, five stars, and a comment. And tell your friends so they too can enjoy tail wags and the making of tales. Check out happinessbetweentails.com for more information. And now Kick back and enjoy this episode of Happiness Between Tales. Willowcroft writes and blogs from the high desert.
1: Her speculative and horror fiction has appeared in anthologies and journals. At willowcroft.blog, you can find more of her writing and links to the rest of her social media, including her Amazon page. When she's not writing, she cares for three rescued cats. Writing, publishing, and my love for animals by Willow Croft. I acquired a degree in writing and literature from Goddard College in Vermont back in 1998 to 2001, but I didn't actually start writing in hopes of getting published until about the mid to late 2010s. When I was growing up, creativity was only something you did on the side, if ever, once you found a job and were a fully functioning and conformist member of society. Only then was it okay to express your creativity, and only if it never took the place of what was quote real unquote work. And it was because of my 30 plus quest for quote real unquote work that I not only acquired significant physical limitations, I was in a place of mental and emotional desperation. I was living in increasingly conservative, intolerant Florida, I couldn't find any sort of work, I had been threatened by one of a group of those rapidly conservative types my home state was notorious for, and I had just gotten my master's degree in a futile hope of expanding my higher ability, with no luck. Although I had started my own freelance business, I was still having problems earning enough income to be independent, and I was just living under so much fear and sadness and stress that I allowed myself to turn to writing, because I just didn't know what else to do anymore. I mean, it was to the point where I was like I'm almost middle-aged, and I'm still living way below poverty level. I have nothing to show for my efforts to conform to the system just to get a job and I have very limited options, so why not write just to keep yourself sane? And, amazingly, I started to get published in magazines and in anthologies. Granted, there was an immense amount of hard work and dedication involved, but I was actually seeing a return on that, as opposed to anything else I had attempted to achieve over the span of my lifetime. I could spin out so many cliché terms about what getting published meant, and continues to mean but they are all sincere, a lifeline, a light in the darkness, a refuge, a sanctuary. The list goes on. So, that's my main issue with standardized education, and standardized employment, for you grown-ups out there. Why force kids to live up to a standard and regimen that many adults, including me, would have difficulty managing? I mean, come on, schools, by the time pencils are sharpened, supplies and materials are organized, fidgets and energy are calmed, and brains are drifting into the task ahead, then bam. It's time to go to the next period or switch to the next educational subject area and, OMG I'm the teacher, and I've just gotten into the zone, and holy cow, it's already time for the switch? And all I can hope for at that point is that I've at least provided the kids some levity in their otherwise dull, rote learning educational experience by watching their substitute teacher's brain implode. I mean, come on, what's wrong with making education dynamic and fun, intuitive and exploration-based and free of stress and pressure? When did we stop making space for kids to be kids, and not many adults in schools? So, even though I'm not currently teaching, I still daydream about this amazingly interactive, pod-based learning environment for the school system that allows children to immerse themselves for a week or two in diverse and wide-ranging areas of interest of their choice, while teachers and guest teachers can weave in essentials, like reading, math, etc., as seamless parts of each pod. And utilize them to build up skill zones like critical thinking, creative nurturing, curiosity-fueled engagement, and more. And, in the end, the school system could actually not only prepare kids for the changing world, of which, I firmly believe, the standardized school system is outdated, inefficient, and impractical, and well in need of not just an update, but a complete overhaul. And, in the best part of all, give kids a chance to explore all aspects of their potential, while they have a safe, judgment-free, supportive environment to do so, instead of having to play self-discovery catch-up as best you can at an older age. I mean, I look back now, and I know that tendencies of mine that had been criticized and considered a detriment, would have been an asset in the careers I had wanted to explore. But I've tried to make up for lost time. As you can see from my tips list that follows, I've had the opportunity as an adult to explore things and causes, namely animals and the environment, that interest me. I may never be able to be the marine biologist or live the purely artistic lifestyle I dreamed of as a child, but at least I can reconnect with my innate interests and passions as best I can, with the time I have left. Why can't kids have that, with all the time they have ahead of them? I don't think it's fair to strip them of their potential while we, as adults, want to make them fit into confining little boxes just because we had to and have to. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox and into the tips I learned from my explorations as an adult where nobody could deter me from getting involved in causes such as my love of animals. Anyone who knows my blog knows I love animals. And if you don't, well, guess what? I'm very passionate about animals and animal welfare. And I don't just blog about animal welfare causes like in my fixed post titled, The Real Life Horror of Pet Overpopulation. I have been very involved in animal rescue causes. Everything from cleaning out kennels to assisting on a cat hoarding investigation, and the cat's subsequent relocation, to wildlife rescue and rehabilitation. I've even attended greyhound racing protests. I often have a wonderful rapport with my animal friends, especially cats, chipmunks, and skunks. So, even when I'm writing horror... I often include animals in my short stories and other written material. I especially like to include shelter animals and also try to give animals the agency and empowerment they often lack in the real world. At the original blog post I wrote for happinessbetweentales.com, you can find links to anthologies where some of my animal-related stories appear. For my guest appearance here, I thought I'd share some tips learned from my years in animal rescue and the rescue and rehab of wildlife. Let's begin with wildlife tip number one, which can be a hard thing to resist. Even I, a former long-time, wildlife rehabber who absolutely knows better, sometimes feel the compulsion to feed my wild animal friends, but I don't give into it. It can do more harm than good. Like with dogs, people food is not good for animals. So the next time you're tempted to feed ducks, turtles, or heaven forbid, raccoons, or any other kind of wild animal, please try not to give into the urge. It may seem like a small act, but it can be a matter of life or death for the wild creature. Wildlife tip number two is something that should go without saying, right? Which is, if you find an injured wildlife creature, immediately contact your local wildlife center or wildlife rescue group for advice and the most current information regarding the proper rescue of the animal. Be hesitant about handling injured wildlife, as to avoid injury to yourself from a scared or stressed animal. Also, wildlife rescue organizations always need volunteers, and that can be the best way to learn how to safely handle wildlife, and perhaps even assist on wildlife rescues and releases out in the field. My last tip for you on wildlife is this. Instead of an environmentally detrimental turf lawn, consider a landscape design that provides food, shelter, and a more natural ecosystem for animals, birds, insects, bugs, and other critters. If you put out water for wildlife and or birds, Make sure it's flowing and not stagnant. Standing water cannot only play host to harmful bacteria that can sicken wildlife, it can also be a breeding ground for mosquitoes. Consult with the parks department or the extension service in your area for more expert advice on supporting the local wildlife in your region. Bat houses, bird houses, and bee houses can be fun additions to your wildlife-friendly zone. Now let's move on to my tips regarding adopting pets. Again, do I even need to say it? Okay, if you insist. Adopt, don't shop. Spay or neuter your pets to prevent shelter overcrowding and pet overpopulation. Don't buy breed or purchase any animals from puppy and cat mills. I worked for a number of years and plan to again when I get settled, in animal rescue and in animal shelters, both as a volunteer and as a paid employee. I even worked on a hoarding case once. It's fulfilling work but also heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for so many different reasons. Mainly, there are too many animals and not enough homes. So, here's some basics for navigating the pet adoption realm. First off, give older cats and dogs a chance. For some reason, people seem to think any animal that's not a kitten or a puppy is old. To put this in perspective, my own two cats, both adopted from a shelter, live to be 20 and 21, respectively. Cats over 5 years old are a lot more mellow and are often a better companion for families with kids, especially smaller kids. Teach kids and, yes, even other adults, to be respectful of the cat's boundaries, and provide spaces for the cat to get away from visitors, household residents, and the like. Adding vertical spaces to your home, such as cat towers, cat-friendly shelving, etc., can help the cat adjust and minimize stress and behavior issues. I'm not as much as an expert on dogs as I am on cats, but investing in proper training can be a lifesaver Literally, in the case of the dog. Secondly, keep cats indoors. I admit, I grew up in a household that let cats be indoor and outdoor, and I made the mistake of allowing my first cat be indoor and outdoor, and he developed so many behavior problems as a result. Everybody's divided on this issue, but I am adamantly, fiercely entrenched on the side of keeping cats strictly indoors. It makes it easy to relocate, plus it saves on having to take the cat to the vet every other week for some abscess wound after it tangled with the raccoon. Not to mention, it's so much less stress when you're not worried every time the cat disappears, that it's been run over or poisoned either accidentally or on purpose by an angry neighbor, because cats consistently ignore property lines. Plus, indoors they're not wreaking havoc on an already embattled ecosystem. Cats are opportunistic hunters and have a detrimental impact on local birds and wildlife. Now, here's the worst parts to letting cats run free, and leaving dogs unattended in the yard, they are vulnerable to theft. And by theft, I don't mean by people like me who might see a loose animal and think it's a stray, joking. Well, sort of. I mean people who cruise neighborhoods and steal pets in order to use them for bait animals in dog fighting or to sell them to laboratories for animal testing. Urban myth, right? Nope. Every few months, there would be a flood of lost pet posters in my former neighborhood in Florida. I learned what was most likely happening to the animals from an animal rescue worker who'd been volunteering for about 20 years. Lastly, cute pets like rabbits do not make good pets for kids. Which is a shame, because rescued rabbits need homes too, as they are often acquired as gifts and then discarded like so many other pet animals, once the novelty wears off. I always make the joke unless your kid is 4-H experienced. Because rabbits require so much finicky care and handling. If rabbits are held the wrong way, they can kick and break their backs. They need so much specialized care, and unless the parent or guardian is prepared to take on that care, I wouldn't recommend it. And, hopefully this goes without saying. Get the rabbit spayed or neutered. Because rabbits really do breed like, well, rabbits. Or save yourself a lot of headache and stress, and turn the kid onto herpetology from a licensed breeder that only sells captive bred reptiles etc still have questions need advice on the weird and wacky things cats do i'm always willing to talk animals on my site at willowcroft.blog got any experiences to share thoughts or questions about rescuing animals Record them on my podcast page at Anchor by Spotify or email me at happinessbetweentails.com. Like what you heard? You're supported by me at coffee.com backslash support H. B. T. would be much appreciated.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This is Doll for Happiness Between Tales. Send me your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through happinessbetweentails.com, where you can find out more about the show and me. To get Happiness Between tales delivered automatically, be sure to subscribe. You'll help the show thrive by liking it, rating it five stars, commenting, and telling your friends to check it out. See you at the next episode for more Tail Wags and the Making of tales.